long history. The southern United States in the 1500s, part 13. Arkansas and the Mississippi. Hello everyone and how are you? Welcome to episode 13 of Long History's The Southern United States in the 1500s. I hope you've been enjoying episodes 1 to 12 so far. But if you're new to this series of Long History, this text describes an expedition from the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southerly United States, from Florida to Arkansas and most of the states in between. The expedition was headed by Hernando de Soto and began in April 1538. This document was written by a Portuguese man known as the Gentleman of Elvas. We've reached episode 13 now of this 25-part series. We're well into the series, but I'm sure episodes 1 to 12 are just a few clicks away if you haven't listened to them already. And don't forget to subscribe to be notified of the remaining episodes. Okay, now onto the current episode, and we're almost two years into the journey through the land that today makes up the southeasterly United States. Having travelled from Florida up through the Atlantic states up to North Carolina, then inland to Tennessee, down to Alabama, Hernando de Soto and his expedition are now in Mississippi state, heading up towards Arkansas's border with Tennessee. Various groups of local people attacked them in the previous episode, leaving many men wounded on both sides. Hernando de Soto's increasingly poor reputation amongst the local people precedes him as he goes. In this episode, in the meantime, we see the inland Mississippi River being sighted for the first time by a European. So here we go with episode 13 of the southern United States in the 1500s, Arkansas and the Mississippi. Chapter 22. How the governor went from Kiskis and thence to the River Grande. Three days having gone by since some maize had been sought after, and but little found in comparison with the great want there was of it, the governor became obliged to move at once, notwithstanding the wounded had need of repose, to where there should be abundance. He accordingly set out for Kizkiz, and marched seven days through a wilderness, having many pondy places with thick forests, all fordable, however, on horseback, except some basins or lakes that were swum. He arrived at a town of Kizkiz without being decried, and seized all the people before they could come out of their houses. Among them was the mother of the cacique, and the governor sent word to him by one of the captives to come and receive her with the rest he had taken. The answer he returned was that if his lordship would order them to be loosed and sent, he would come to visit and do him service. The governor, since his men arrived weary and likewise weak for want of maize, and the horses were also lean, determined to yield to the requirement and try to have peace. So the mother and the rest were ordered to be set free, and with words of kindness were dismissed. The next day, while he was hoping to see the chief, many Indians came with bows and arrows to set upon the Christians, when he commanded that all the armed horsemen should be mounted and in readiness. Finding them prepared, the Indians stopped at the distance of a crossbow shot from where the governor was, near a river bank, where, after remaining quietly half an hour, six chiefs arrived at the camp, stating that they had come to find out what people it might be, for that they had knowledge from their ancestors that they were to be subdued by a white race. They consequently desired to return to the cacique to tell him that he should come presently to obey and serve the governor. After presenting six or seven skins and shawls brought with them, they took their leave and returned with the others who were waiting for them by the shore. The cacique came not, nor sent another message. There was little maize in the place and the governor moved to another town half a league from the great river where it was found insufficiency. He went to look at the river, and saw that near it there was much timber of which piraguas might be made, and a good situation in which the camp might be placed. He directly moved, 
built houses, and settled on a plain a crossbow shot from the water, bringing together there all the maize of the towns behind, that at once they might go to work and cut down trees for sawing out planks to build barges. The Indians soon came from up the stream, jumped on shore, and told the governor that they were the vassals of a great lord, named Akiho, who was the suzerain of many towns and people on the other shore, and they made known from him that he would come the day after with all his people, to hear what his lordship would command him. The next day the cacique arrived, with two hundred canoes filled with men having weapons. They were painted with ochre, wearing great bunches of white and other plumes of many colours, having feathered shields in their hands, with which they sheltered the oarsmen on either side, the warriors standing erect from bow to stern, holding bows and arrows. The barge in which the cacique came had an awning at the poop, under which he sate, and the like had the barges of the other chiefs. And there, from under the canopy, where the chief man was, the course was directed and orders issued to the rest. All came down together, and arrived within a stone's cast of the ravine, whence the cacique said to the governor, who was walking along the river bank, with others who bore him company, that he had come to visit, serve and obey him. For he had heard that he was the greatest of lords, the most powerful on all the earth, and that he must see what he would have him do. The governor expressed his pleasure, and besought him to land, that they might the better confer, but the chief gave no reply, ordering three barges to draw near, wherein was great quantity of fish, and loaves like bricks, made of the pulp of plums, which Soto receiving, gave him thanks, and again entreated him to land. Making the gift had been a pretext, to discover if any harm might be done, but, finding the governor and his people on their guard, the cacique began to draw off from the shore, when the crossbowmen who were in readiness with loud cries shot at the Indians and struck down five or six of them. They retired with great order, not one leaving the oar, even though the one next to him might have fallen and covering themselves, they withdrew. Afterwards they came many times and landed. When approached, they would go back to their barges. These were fine-looking men, very large and well-formed, and what with the awnings, the plumes and the shields, the pennons and the number of people in the fleet, it appeared like a famous armada of galleys. During the thirty days that were passed there, four piraguas were built, into three of which, one morning, three hours before daybreak, the governor ordered twelve cavalry to enter, four in each, men in whom he had confidence that they would gain the land notwithstanding the Indians, and secure the passage or die. He also sent some crossbowmen of foot with them, and in the other piragua, oarsmen, to take them to the opposite shore. He ordered Juan de Guzman to cross with the infantry, of which he had remained captain in the place of Francisco Maldonado, and because the current was stiff, they went up along the side of the river a quarter of a league, and in passing over, they were carried down, so as to land opposite the camp. But, before arriving there, at twice the distance of a stone's cast, the horsemen rode out from the piraguas to an open area of hard and even ground, which they all reached without accident. So soon as they had come to shore, the piraguas returned, and when the sun was up two hours high, the people had all got over. The distance was near half a league. A man standing on the shore could not be told whether he were a man or something else from the other side. The stream was swift and very deep. The water, always flowing turbidly, brought along from above many trees and much timber, driven onward by its force. There were many fish of several sorts, the greater part differing from those of the fresh waters of Spain, as will be told hereafter. Chapter 23 
how the governor went from Aquijo to Casqui, and thence to Pacaja, and how this country differs from the other. The Rio Grande being crossed, the governor marched a league and a half to a large town of Aquijo, which was abandoned before his arrival. Over a plain, thirty Indians were seen to draw nigh, sent by the cacique to discover what the Christians intended to do, but who fled directly as they saw them. The cavalry pursued, killed ten and captured fifteen. As the town towards which the governor marched was near the river, he sent a captain, with the force he thought sufficient, to take the piraguas up the stream. As they frequently wound about through the country, having to go round the bays that swell out of the river, the Indians had the opportunity to attack those in the piraguas, placing them in great peril, being shot at with bows from the ravines, while they dared not leave the shore because of the swiftness of the current, so that, as soon as the governor got to the town, he directly sent crossbowmen to them down the stream for their protection. When the piraguas arrived, he ordered them to be taken to pieces and the spikes kept for making others when they should be needed. The governor slept at the town one night. The day following, he went in quest of a province called Pacaja, which he had been informed was nigh Chisca, where the Indians said there was gold. He passed through large towns in Aquijo, which the people had left for fear of the Christians. From some Indians that were taken, he heard that three days' journey thence resided a great cacique called Casqui. He came to a small river, over which a bridge was made, whereby he crossed. All that day until sunset, he marched through water, in places coming to the knees, in others as high as the waist. They were greatly rejoiced on reaching the dry land, because it had appeared to them that they should travel about lost all night in the water. At midday they came to the first town of Kaski, where they found the Indians off their guard, never having heard of them. Many men and women were taken, much clothing, blankets and skins. Such they likewise took in another town in sight of the first, half a league off in the field, whither the horsemen had run. This land is higher, drier and more level than any other along the river that had been seen until then. In the fields were many walnut trees, bearing tender-shelled nuts in the shape of acorns, many being found stored in the houses. The tree did not differ in anything from that of Spain, nor from the one seen before, except the leaf was smaller. There were many mulberry trees, and trees of plums, having fruit of vermilion hue, like one of Spain, while others were grey, differing but far better. All the trees, the year round, were as green as if they stood in orchards and the woods were open. The governor marched two days through the country of Caski, before coming to the town where the cacique was, the greater part of the way lying through fields, thickly set with great towns, two or three of them to be seen from one. He sent word by an Indian to the cacique that he was coming to obtain his friendship and to consider him as a brother, to which he received for answer that he would be welcomed, that he would be received with special goodwill, and all that his lordship required of him should be done, and the chief sent him on the road a present of skins, shawls and fish. After these gifts were made, all the towns into which the governor came were found occupied, and the inhabitants awaited him in peace, offering him skins, shawls and fish. Accompanied by many persons, the cacique came half a league on the road from the town where he dwelt to receive the governor, and, drawing nigh to him, thus spoke. Very high, powerful and renowned master, I greet your coming. So soon as I had notice of you, your power and perfections, although you entered my territory capturing and killing the dwellers upon it, who are my vassals, 
I determined to conform my wishes to your will and hold as right all that you might do, believing that it should be so for a good reason, providing against some future event, to you perceptible, but from me concealed, since an evil may well be permitted to avoid another greater, that good can arise, which I trust will be so, for from so excellent a prince no bad motive is to be suspected. My ability is so small to serve you, according to your great merit, that though you should consider even my abundant will and humility in proffering you all manner of services, I must still deserve little in your sight. If this ability can with reason be valued, I pray you receive it, and with it my country and my vassals, of me and them disposing at your pleasure, for though you were lord of the earth, with no more good will would you be received, served, and obeyed. This episode contains the first European description of the inland Mississippi River. In this episode, however, it's called Rio Grande, although in reality Rio Grande just means large river. According to the 1907 version of this text, Hernando de Soto and his expedition reached and crossed the Mississippi and entered Arkansas from today's Tunica County in Mississippi State. Apologies for the pronunciation there. And precise locations are subject to debate. Kaski, the next area they reach, is said by this 1907 edition of this text to be in the St. Francis County area of eastern Arkansas, very near to today's Memphis, Tennessee. As this episode ends, the local leader has cautiously greeted De Soto, in words which nonetheless are filtered through many layers of narrative and translation. In short, it's hard to believe whether these were the actual words said by this leader. In the next episode, nonetheless, we hear Hernando De Soto's response. Thank you for listening to the latest episode from Long History. As you've made it this far, please don't forget to like this episode. We're just over halfway through this series now and there's plenty more to come. But if you can't wait for the next episode, don't forget there's lots to explore on Long History about Magellan, Columbus, the colonization of the Philippines, and another of the earliest explorations of the southern United States. Thanks everyone for listening and goodbye.